by one of the ladies in the church said it makes me look like a college student, so I'm keeping it short. <laughs> well, it's a blessing to be here tonight, and uh, it's, boy, it's really winter weather is really starting to come in, isn't it? And uh, the building, I think we still only have this side heated. This one's just blowing air, so we turned it off. We're trying to get you over here, Mary. <laughs> um, but it is a blessing to be together tonight. And uh, glad you guys could make it. I do you want to welcome back Cassandra, all the way from Washington State? Her dad, Paul, went up and retrieved her from. Uh, Washington and brought it home. It's good to see you guys back and safe. That so just bear with me if I have to clear my throat a little bit. But we'll finish the book of Second Timothy tonight, chapter four. We thought it'd never get here, but it's it's here. We've come to the end. And let me just pray and ask the Lord to bless our time of study here as we finish out this wonderful letter, Paul's last letter um, that we have to study tonight. Father, we just want to lift this time up to you tonight and ask for your blessing upon it, God. Lord, we, we genuinely believe that the study of your word is a, is a worthy uh, endeavor. We believe that taking time, Lord, even out of a busy holiday schedule, to come and sit under your word and to just have your word taught is really a great blessing. And Lord, I just ask that you would bless it, Lord. It's your word that we would look at tonight, God, not man's. And we trust, God, your word is like a, it's an anchor, Lord. It's a foundation for us, something to build our lives on. Lord, we need that. We're living in such perilous times. And as, as the letter to Timothy so encourages Timothy to be faithful and to hang in there and to hold on to the, to the foundations of the faith, Lord, so we too want to, we want to be a people that are holding on and uh, trusting you, Lord. And not just holding on, Lord, but, but really doing exploits for you, Lord, that, that as we grasp your word, our lives would be changed, our hearts would be transformed. And Lord, that you would use us for your glory. And so we give you this night, Lord, and ask that you would speak to us out of your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we will pick up tonight in verse 9, chapter 4, verse 9 work our way, way through the end of the chapter. We've been looking at this last chapter, chapter 4, and I've titled this whole chapter, Fulfilling Your Calling, really is kind of Timothy's, or excuse me, the Apostle Paul's last words to his beloved son in the faith, Timothy, and it's kind of the, the capstone on everything that he's been saying. I really believe that the emphasis through the whole chapter is Timothy, really through the whole book. Timothy, you be faithful with what God's called you to do. Fulfill your calling. It's worth it. I'm looking, Paul's now having run the race. We looked at that last week. He's finished the fight. He's run the course. He's looking back on 30 years of ministry, and he's saying, Timothy, it's worth it. I've come to the end of my course, and I know that God has something good for me, a crown of righteousness laid up for me. Timothy, you continue on. You hold true 
to the faith and to the calling of God. Because even though it's difficult at times, there will be opposition. In the end, it will be worth it. And I genuinely believe that. That whatever we do for the Lord, whatever sacrifices we have to make to, to serve the Lord, I genuinely believe that, that they will be worth it. And that they will not, there will, be, there will come a day when they won't seem like sacrifices at all. Like the Apostle Paul said, that, that this present, these present trials are not worthy to be compared to the glory that God will reveal. So that's, that's our hope as Christians, and that's where we have to keep our focus. And Paul closes out the chapter, and he talks about a number of different people, and I just want to kind of go through those individuals. And again, under this kind of this subheading of fulfilling your calling, I would say to you, just as Paul experienced, that you are going to have both friends and enemies of God's call on your life. There are going to be some who will encourage you in the call of God, some relationships, some in your life. Paul certainly knew both of those, knew, knew that whole spectrum. So first of all, verse 9, be diligent to come to me quickly. His first appeal is Timothy, to Timothy. Timothy, come quickly. Come, he says on later in the chapter here, come before winter. And in that day, boats didn't travel much in the winter time. They kind of went into harbor for the winter. So Paul wanted to make sure Timothy got on the road and sailed for Rome before winter. He didn't want him to get kind of locked out all winter long with bad weather. So Timothy, come. He's, he's at the end of his life, really, he knows that his ministry is coming to a close. God's given him a sense that his days are numbered. He's in prison there in Rome. His, you know, he, he, the, the, the political climate is not going well for him. And so he says, Timothy, come, but come quickly. I want to see you. I want to, I want to be with you. And just this precious relationship that the Apostle Paul had with Timothy, his son in the faith. Seems to be an urgency there to, see his, to have his close friend by him in the, in the end of his ministry. He calls Timothy, Timothy a true son in the faith. He calls him a beloved son. In 1 Corinthians, he said to the Corinthians, For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Also in Philippians 2.19, Paul says to the Philippians, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. So Paul had this wonderful affection for Timothy, and he trusted Timothy. He had mentored Timothy and brought him up in the faith, and he taught him his ways of ministry, and, and, and now he, he trusts Timothy. If he sends Timothy to a, a church, he knows that Timothy is going to love those people, care for those people, be sincerely interested in the gospel for those individuals, just as if Paul himself were there. So this is the relationship that Paul has. That's, those are the kinds of friendships that we need to look for. Those are the kinds of relationships that we need to cultivate. Those that have really just a, a like heart in the faith. And, you know, in the Christian, even, in the, even within the ch Christian church, you know, you... You meet some people, I, I've seen this over the years, you meet some people who are just really solid, you know, they just love the Lord, and then I've met others who are just, you know, they're, they're fickle, and they, they, they want to love the Lord, and they want to be, you know, in, 
church. They, well, they want to grow spiritually, but they just can't seem to, to get their life there. And so Paul finds this rare find in Timothy. And I can say that. You know, I had a, a, a friend, of, an old friend of mine recently email me. This is a, a, a man that I actually was a roommate in college with, so it was a long time ago. And he lives on the East Coast, and we haven't really touched base. You know, we were roommates for a couple of years, and you know how it is. You go your different ways. And I hadn't heard from him in years and years. And um, we touched base a couple of times along the way, you know, between college and now. But he just recently wrote me an email and said, you know, I've just been thinking about you, and I'm praying for you and your family. And he sent me pictures of his wife and family. And he said, you know, I'd like to just kind of renew some, some contact and just be in touch. And he, and he said, because true friends are hard to find. And just that just hit me, you know. And he said, he said it this way, you know, as I'm getting older, I realize true friends are hard to find. They don't come easy. So it was just good to hear that. And I, of course, my heart felt the same way towards him. He loves the Lord. He's a wonderful brother in Christ. And so now we're just, you know, we're doing a little email back and forth, just encouraging one another. You know, we're not talking every day, but, you know, once a month we're just kind of touching. And it's just good. And you don't find that many people. And when you do, you know, you need to invest something of yourself in those relationships. You can tell that the Apostle Paul invested quite a bit of himself in Timothy. And when you find someone who genuinely loves the Lord, you find friendships that, that really stir you spiritually. Those are, the, those are the relationships that you should really strive to maintain. And it takes it takes a little energy to keep a friendship going, doesn't it? It takes a little investment of time. It takes a little effort in communication. When you're younger, it's a lot easier. You're in school together. You're in sports together. And it just, friendships almost kind of come easily, it seems. But as you get a little older and you, you, you get, you know, off in your lives, it, it, you got to make the time. you got to invest the time. Paul and Timothy had this type of relationship. He was definitely a friend of Paul's ministry. Well, he mentions in verse 10, he mentions someone else. He mentions Demas. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. Well, Demas was also a gentleman who was mentioned on other places in the scripture. And he was once a faithful co-worker with the Apostle Paul, just as Timothy was. Colossians 4.14, Philemon verse 24 mentioned Demas someone that was laboring in the faith, serving with Paul in the ministry. And to serve with Paul in the ministry at all was a difficult task. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't like you know, going to a really big church and comfortable you know, ministry. This, ministering with the Apostle Paul was a, was a tough road. So anybody that served with him you, you know, had to have a certain level of commitment and dedication to the ministry. And Demas certainly at one time had that. But you'll notice here that Paul says, he has now forsaken me. And why? What happened in the heart, the heart of Demas? Having loved this present world. Having loved this present world. The deeper that you go in the Lord, the farther that you mature spiritually, I believe, the, the more the Lord begins to draw you out of the world. The world becomes less and less important to you. The things of the world the deceitfulness of riches, you know, popularity, pride, you know, prestige, social. As, as you grow in the Lord, a genuine walk in a faith in the Lord, these things become less and less attractive to you. You 
really begin, your heart, it's kind of a journey, and it's over time. I'm finding this even as I'm getting a little old. More, more and more, my heart is drawing towards heaven. And I'm beginning, you know, as you get older, you recognize, you know, we're going to get there pretty soon. <laughs> so you, you start thinking about it a little more often, you know, because, you know, you start, man, I'm almost there. You know, I'm more than halfway through now, Lord. It's, so you start, and, but I think it's a natural part of spiritual maturing. God begins to draw you out of the world. I want you to look with me at the book of Hebrews. And that's just a couple books to your right. And chapter 11. Because as I, as I thought of Demas, who once was faithful, co-worker, but Paul said he deserted me. He just left. He, he's, he's gotten out of the ministry. He's gone back to whatever he was doing. Because he loved this present world. Demas, of course, is the example of what can happen if we allow this present world to draw us and to hold our heart. You can't serve two masters, Jesus said. So there has to be a division and and a commitment to the things of God. And Demas would be the negative example, but it made me think of these, these individuals that we read of in Hebrews 11 as the positive example. Those that did not love this present world. And I'll just look at a couple of examples with you here. Look with me, Hebrews 11, verse 13. This is known as the the faith chapter. The heroes of faith are listed here. And the writer of Hebrews gives these great examples of those who have lived and had wonderful faith. He says in verse 13, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, and they embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. See, this is what Demas couldn't do. He, he didn't want to be a stranger and a pilgrim on the earth. He wanted to hold the earth and the things of the earth close to him. He wanted, he was, you know, loved this present world more than he loved the future kingdom. But those that embrace, those that walk in faith, they embrace these things that are heavenward and they confess that they're strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. You see, this is exactly what happened to Demas. Paul, this, the writer of Hebrews is saying they embraced a homeland, a home, not a homeland on the earth, but a homeland in heaven. Because had they looked back, and just as Demas did, looked back to the to the land, the things of the world, the pleasures of the world. Man, it was a lot easier when I wasn't serving with this guy, Paul. Man, my life was going a lot better when I just was back in my hometown working, making a living. Gosh, my life was easier. God, you know, this is hard work. We've had nothing but persecution. We got, I've made no, this is making nothing but enemies out here on the road with the Apostle Paul. I can't do this. I've got to get back and live my life. I've got a career. I've got, you know, and I don't know what Demas went back to, but something drew him back. And the writer of Hebrews is saying here, when you look back, that, that it has the opportunity to pull you back. Had they called to mind, verse 15, that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But instead of thinking about what God brought them out of, instead, verse 16, now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. Look also a little bit farther down in the same chapter, verse 24. 
concerning Moses. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, to be the son of Pharaoh's daughter was a very good position in Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world at that time. But Moses didn't take that option, choosing rather, verse 25, to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. And by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He goes on to say that he kept the Passover and brought the children of Israel out by parting of the Red Sea. Moses had this great opportunity. Can you imagine being born the son of Pharaoh's daughter and the grandson of Pharaoh? Pharaoh, the most powerful king of the known world. Can you imagine being born in that setting and having that type of privilege, that type of opportunity? Talk about a career path. You know, talk about, you know, a bright future. And Moses gave all that up, choosing rather to, to do what? To suffer the reproach of Christ, which being identified with God's people. This is, what, this is the rub that came with Demas. Paul said, Demas was walking with me at one time. He was faithful, but he wasn't willing to endure some of the difficulties that come living as a Christian, some of the challenges that come living in a in a world that, that, that mocks Christianity, that doesn't you know, look kindly on Christianity. Paul was willing to stand. Demas was not. He was enticed and went back to those things that he knew formerly. And that, that's not what Moses did. That's not what the pilgrims, who, those who considered themselves pilgrims in the land. They kept their sights on the reward. And we as Christians have to do that. And, and God knows how to kind of Weed that out of you. God knows how to create just the right circumstances in our lives to, to, to test our hearts. And it's not that He needs to find out, but He needs to reveal to us where we are. God, uh, Moses told, God spoke to the children of Israel through Moses. He said, you know, after I brought you out of Egypt, I took you out into the wilderness. Why? To test your heart, to see what was in your heart. He didn't take them right into the promised land, but rather he took them out into this place of testing, this place of trial, this place of difficulty to see, just to, to bubble up some of those impurities. And God continues to do that in our lives today. He will create circumstances where you will have to exercise your faith. You will have to look past this life and serve God in view of the reward, just as the heroes of faith have, that have done, gone before us. All right, back to first, excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Demas failed that test. When things got tough, Demas ran for home. But he talks of others that he was in ministry with, and these continued to serve with Paul in ministry. Uh, Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. I don't know if I'm pronouncing those right, but Crescens and Titus... Crescens was, we don't know of him. This is, uh, he's not mentioned anywhere else in the scriptures, so this is the only reference we have. But he did not desert Paul. Demas has forsaken me. But Crescens has been sent to Galatia. So he must have been going 
uh, to, to minister there in Galatia, and Paul probably sent him there. Same for Titus. Titus was, a, was another one of Paul's um, kind of apprentices in the Lord, and the next book we'll be looking at is the epistle of Paul to Titus. So Titus was also one of Paul's favorites, and, and he's mentioned 19 times in 2 Corinthians, two t- twice in Galatians, and then we have the whole epistle of Titus, a letter that Paul specifically wrote to Titus. So Paul was a faithful minister and continued to be used by the Apostle Paul. He, he sent him here to Dalmatia and no doubt to, to encourage their faith, strengthen them. So Paul is alone. Some have forsaken him, but some he's sent out for ministry, sent out to strengthen the, and equip the churches. He also mentions Luke. Only Luke is with me. So I've sent everybody out for service, and really the only guy that's still here with me is Luke at this time. Now we know Luke. Luke is, of course, the writer of the Gospel of Luke. He's also the writer of the whole book of Acts. He wrote that. And we also know that he's referred to as the beloved physician. So he was a physician by trade. And yet uh, we also know that God used him in a great way as a historian. I mean, we have these wonderful uh, writings that he's given us. Uh, recording the life of Jesus and also the life of the early church in the book of Acts. So this, this Luke was really used mightily of the Lord. And yet one thing I, I've noticed about Luke, he's scarcely mentioned. He, even though he was this, you know, he wrote the whole gospel of Luke. He wrote the whole book of Acts. He, was, he traveled with Paul. We know that he was with Paul when he was shipwrecked. We know that he was with Paul in various trials and troubles. We know that through the book of Acts. But yet, Luke is never in the forefront. He was is never, you know, one of the, the heroes, but always kind of, even though he's doing the writing, you know, sometimes when you write, it'd be easy to kind of make yourself look kind of, of course, I was there, and then Paul asked me my opinion, and I said this, and the Lord used me mightily, you know. There's a lot of ways that you can kind of put yourself into the story. And isn't that true? Don't you always remember stories with yourself being the hero, I do. I'm always the hero when I look back. Yeah, that was my idea. You know, any good ideas. The bad ones, of course, those are my wife's. But, <laughs> you know, that's the way we remember things. You know, we remember uh, things that, uh, that, that, that where we're always the hero of the story. Well, but Luke is not that way. Luke is very gracious, and he just, he's totally in the background. You, you rarely hear of him, and yet he has this wonderful ministry. That's a... That's a, that's a good um, example for us, you know, because God knows and God sees and God has used Luke mightily. Can you imagine 2,000 years later, we're still reading this man's writings and his just, just keeping a diary of, of his travels with the Apostle Paul and now God's using those, you know, to bless millions from generation to generation. You know, here he was a physician, God turned him into this great historian and writer of the New Testament. And yet he himself keeps himself very humbly in the background, never appears, but yet used mightily by the Lord. He also also speaks of Mark. He says, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Now, this is a wonderful story. Uh, I'll just give you the highlights Mark had at one time traveled with Paul and Barnabas on a missionary trip. And Mark, 
about somewhere in the missionary trip, halfway, whatever it was, somewhere during the time of the, of the missionary trip, Mark left Paul and Barnabas and went home. He got discouraged. We don't know the details, but basically it, it just the mission road was too difficult for him. And he got, whether he got discouraged, whether he got overwhelmed, whether he was, we don't know, but he left Paul and Barnabas out in the missionary field. Well, Paul and Barnabas finished their missionary tour, and sometime later, Paul and Barnabas are ready to go again. Let's go out and, you know, take another tour through the churches that we've planted, and let's go out and strengthen the brethren. Well, Mark wanted to go along. Well, Paul said, nah, you, you jumped ship last time halfway. You're not coming. And, but Barnabas, Barnabas and Mark were related. Barnabas, no, 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 let's bring Mark. He's my cousin. I want him to come. I think it was cousin or nephew. I don't remember exactly, but he wanted to bring Mark. And it caused such a division between Paul and Barnabas that they went their separate ways. Barnabas took Mark and went on his missionary trip. Paul took Silas and went on his missionary trip. So such a, such a friction over this mark. He was a real little kind of point of contention, this little troublemaker. And he split these good friends, Paul and Barnabas. Well, this is a beautiful picture because now we see that, and, and there's another, other places in the Scripture where we know that Paul and Barnabas were eventually reconciled. Here we see that Paul and Mark were ultimately reconciled. And it's a good picture of the, what God can do in the hearts of those who continue to walk in the Lord. You know, we may have disagreements as Christians. We may disappoint one another. Mark disappointed Paul as a Christian. But Mark continued to walk with the Lord. God continued to mature him. God continued to restore him. And now, Paul says, oh, bring Mark. He's useful to me in the ministry. Now, Mark's one of his favorites. God had used restoration in Mark's life. And the Apostle Paul, not holding a grudge, not holding it over him, the Apostle Paul now is embracing him. And that's the way it should be for Christians. You know, we may have divisions. You may have disputes. You may have disagreements. But, you know, in Christ, over time, we need to be able to be restored. We need to allow the Lord to restore. And if, and if, if each party continues to walk in the Lord, I do believe that God will ultimately bring people back together and restore relationships. This is 20 years later, he's, he, he writes, and longing. For, the, for uh, Timothy to bring Mark with him. Mark had a wonderful ministry. Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark. Mark also spent quite a bit of time with Peter. Peter refers to him as my son in the faith. And we, most historians believe that Mark learned the Gospel account from Peter and then wrote the Gospel of Mark. So this young man who kind of had a rocky beginning, really the Lord was able to restore him and use him mightily. And now Paul welcomes him and desires him. That's, that's encouraging. Anybody had a rocky beginning? I know that I did. So I'm encouraged to know that there's still ministry. God can still use our lives. God can still restore things. And he goes on to talk of some others here. Um, verse 12. Tychius I have sent to Ephesus. Tychius... We don't know much about him, but he may have just been a messenger. He was sent to Ephesus. That's where Timothy was ministering. It's thought that perhaps Tychius is the one. Uh, I don't know if I'm saying that right. It's my Tychicus. He, he might have been the one who actually carried the letter to Timothy. But he was another one of Paul's servants, you know, helping Paul in the ministry. 
And Paul sent him to Ephesus. And then he goes on to say, bring the cloak in verse 13. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come. Winter must have been coming. We know because Paul later says to Timothy, come before winter. And Paul must have left this cloak, which was a coat, some kind of a warm uh, jacket at, with this gentleman that he mentions, Carpus. And he wanted to get that jacket before winter set in. And if you were in a Roman prison, I'm sure, you know, heating was, we think it's a little chilly in here tonight. Uh, I imagine those Roman dungeons were really chilly. So, Timothy, don't forget my jacket. <laughs> Go and, but he mentions Carpus. And, you know, Carpus must have been someone who hosted Paul at one of the times during his ministry. And Paul had left some things with him and entrusted some things with him. And he also says the books, especially the parchments. Paul, you know, Paul was a scholar. Paul was a very uh, studious man, so much so that, you know, back in Acts 26, when he was going to make his defense before Festus, uh, he said these things that were so out to, that Festus saw, thought were so outrageous. He said, "Paul, you're beside yourself. Much learning is making you crazy." So Paul must have been known as someone who was very studious, a real scholar, a real student of the Word. And he spent much time in the Word. And now that he's asking, he's entrusted some of these things at Carp, with Carpus, and he's saying, Timothy, bring those books, bring those parchments. May have been some of his own writings. May have been some of the things that he wanted to study, continued to study. Well, he also says, Alexander the coppersmith in verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must be aware of him for he has greatly resisted our words. Well, Alexander the coppersmith, uh, the fact that he was a coppersmith, we don't know all the details of this Alexander. There are a couple of other Alexanders mentioned in the New Testament. doesn't seem to be necessarily this one because this one was, is so pronounced against the Apostle Paul and did him much harm. There's another, uh, there was a, a man by the name of Demetrius in Ephesus who was a silversmith and what, and and it may have been the same thing with Alexander as a coppersmith. What these guys did is they would mold, uh, make idols for the people, and that, that was part of their business. In Ephesus, they made idols of their the gods that they worshipped, and they made them out of silver and copper and brass. And the people would buy these these idols and take them home. Well, when the apostle Paul came to town and started preaching the gospel, people were getting saved and realized their idols are just you know, vain, worthless things. They started throwing those out. And guess what happened to the idol trade? You know, it went down, you know. It just went way down. So uh, they, the, the price of idols <laughs> depreciated quickly. There weren't as many customers. So these guys didn't like Paul, right? Because can you, and you can understand, hey, this guy's coming in, stirring up the town, and putting me out of business. Well, they, they then would persecute, attack, do harm. So Alexander the coppersmith may, be, may have been one of these who, who was, his trade was affected by the gospel and he then resisted Paul and did much harm. So Paul warns Timothy, be careful. But you'll notice that even in, the, even in Paul's um, comments, he says, may the Lord repay him according to his works. He still, he, he leaves vengeance in the hands of the Lord. You know, sometimes we want to get even. I'll get him. I'll show him. 
Alexander the coppersmith. Now, when you go by, throw a, throw a rock through his wind, store window, Timothy. No, may the Lord. May, you know, I, I just have, we have to, sometimes you just have to give people to the Lord. You know, you're going to be resisted from time to time as a Christian. There are people that are going to resent you because you are a Christian. And God may allow you to experience persecution. Alexander the coppersmith did Paul much harm. How can that be? Paul was an anointed apostle. Paul was walking in victory. Paul had the Holy Spirit, and Paul had you know miracles. But yet, God allowed this incident, whatever it was, and, and you know in the book of Acts, Paul had many incidents where he was done much harm. People resisted him. He was persecuted. God may allow this in our lives. This is part of what happened in Christ, Jesus Christ. We may be partakers of the sufferings of Christ. Jesus said, if they hated me, they're not going to love you. <laughs> if they didn't like the master, they're not going to like the servants. And so you have to expect that. We don't, you know, it's, it's, we can get bitter, we can get resentful. I can remember as a teenage Christian, you know, when I got saved as a young Christian, I thought everybody would want to be a Christian. So I started sharing with some of my friends, and, you know, they, you know, well, I got mad at them, you know, and they, you know, they made me feel, you know, really silly for doing that. They weren't interested in it. And I can remember having, you know, screaming matches with these guys. So mad at them for not, you know, seeing what, what I was doing and why it was right and why they needed to do it also. That's not the way to win people to Christ, by the way. But, you know, in my immaturity, and, but, but I, was, I was hurt, you know, my friends rejecting me now because I was a Christian. And so that made me, you know, mad at them. And then I just, you know, I kind of went through this little period of, you know, hating them, you know, which is wonderful for a new Christian. <laughs> you know, and the Lord had to begin to recover my heart and realize, you know, Lord, I just, we have to walk in love. And there, not everyone is going to follow you. Not, and some, not only are some going to be disinterested, some are going to actually resist and might even want to do you harm because you're, you're for your uh, walk with Christ. Paul experienced this with Alexander. He then kind of lumps uh, basically all those that were unfaithful at his defense. Now, we know that Paul's in prison. We, could, we assume that there must have been a trial. He says in verse 16, At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. There must have been others that Paul had around him during, during the good times of ministry, during the times when you know things weren't so difficult. But then towards the end, when he got on trial and, you know, we, we know ultimately he gave his life for his faith, the friends started to disperse. And not that much different than what we read about Jesus. Remember Jesus and how he stood alone at his trial? Remember Peter? Oh, no, Jesus, I'll be there. I, Peter was so confident that he would never deny Jesus. But when Jesus finally was arrested and taken to trial before the, you know, the Romans and the Pharisees, all the disciples scattered. They were all afraid of the consequences of being too close to Jesus. Paul had some of the same experience. You know, I just have to say that there may be, I, I think probably there will be, that God will probably sometime during your Christian walk, maybe not to this extent, maybe not to the same extent, that you would have to give your life. But there will be times when God will 
will weed you out from the crowd to train you to stand alone with Him alone. That's what Paul goes on to say. Look here in verse 16. Or excuse me, 17. But the Lord stood with me and He strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for His heavenly kingdom. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. There comes a time, I believe, in our Christian walk, and, and sometimes you may, you may go through it more than once, but I believe that the Lord will, will draw you out a little bit and, and trust you to lean on Him and Him alone. Because the tendency is we can, you know, to lean on friends or family or husbands or wives or relationships, but God's looking, not looking for you to put your trust in those relationships. God may give good friends. God may give a good marriage. God may bless and help strengthen your life with those things. But ultimately, God wants your faith in Him and Him alone. And there will be seasons in your life when you will feel alone. Has anyone ever felt lonely? Even, among, even amongst friends, even amidst family, even amidst uh, you know, a church, you can, you can feel lonely. And don't, be, don't despair in that time. That's the time to draw deeper into your walk with God. That's, that's the season that God may lead you to sometimes. Why? So that you would learn to trust in Him. You know, a tree that is often watered, the roots never go that deep. But a tree that, that, that has to go for long periods of time sometimes without water, those roots go deep because they, they have to go deeper to get the water because the, the water table drops. And I think that sometimes the Lord sends dryness. Why? So that our, because our roots need to go a little deeper. We need to dig a little deeper in our walk with the Lord. We need to mature. We need to be learning to trust in Him and Him alone. Paul had that experience. And the good news is that the Lord stood by him. Praise the Lord. Christ was with him. Christ stood by him. Christ strengthened him. Christ strengthened him so that he could preach the message fully. Christ delivered him. He delivered him. You know, the, you know the story of Paul. Many, many dangers. He was delivered. Shipwreck, stone, beaten. All these things. God, it'd been nice not to have gone through those things, but God delivered him through. He went through the difficulty, but God brought him out on the other side, and he had a confidence that God, that Christ would continue to deliver him and preserve him for what? For something good in this life? No. Preserve me for His heavenly kingdom. Preserve me for his heavenly gift. Paul knew that what God had in mind ultimately was to bring Paul home to, to him in heaven. And that's where his confidence was. Verse 18, preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Paul had a confidence that neither life nor death can separate me from the love of God. God will preserve me for that heavenly kingdom. There, nothing can steal that from me. Nothing can take that away from me. We're going to have it. He also greets old friends, verses 19 and 20. Greet Prissa and Aquila and the, and the household of Onesiphorus 
Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus I have left in Miletus sick. So he talks, some of these were his old friends. We know Priscilla, also known as Priscilla and Aquila. These were some of Paul's many years of friendship. They were relationships that he had even through his tent-making business. Paul served and worked to support himself on the mission field. These were people that he met. They had church in their home. These were old friends. And Paul says, greet those. Greet some of my old friends. And he talks about Erastus that he left in Corinth. Trophimus he left in Miletus sick. There, that is interesting that Paul left Trophimus or in Miletus sick. Even though Paul was a wonderful apostle and had miracles and people were, even the lame, crippled, were, blind eyes were open. He had many healings and miracles and yet he left Trophimus in Miletus sick. So apparently the gift of miracles is not something you can just call up when you want it, right? Paul would have just healed him right there. Why leave him there sick? Now, Paul, undoubtedly, Paul prayed for him, but he wasn't healed. So a little begs the question, you know, some of these, um, some of the faith healers that we hear today that think they can just kind of whip it up and be healed, you know, and uh, Paul didn't seem to have that confidence, and he's quite honest about, you know, I left Trophimus in uh, Miletus, and he was ill. But these were his old friends, and he also sends greetings from his new friends. He says, do your, do your utmost to come before winter. Ebulus greets you as well as Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. So even, uh, even, in, even his uh, last bit of time, he still had uh, new brethren, new friendships that he had developed and those that God had brought to him in Christ. And that's, that's the way the Christian walk is. You know, there are, I believe that there are people and, uh, that God will bring across our path for a season and will cause our lives to flourish together spiritually for a season. But then that season change and God moves you on. And then, you know, and I, I kind of feel that way a little bit tonight. You know, we were many years fellowshipping down at uh, Calvary Chapel, La Mirada, and we enjoyed really sweet friendships there and good ministry there. But, you know, that was just for a season. And God called us and, you know, sent us up to plant a work up here. And so, you know, I've got old friends back there, and it's a blessing. And I, some of them I have fond memories of, you know. Some I have not so fond memories of, no. But, you know, but, but now, look, God's brought new people into our lives and new people that we're, we're just, you know, getting to know and having opportunity to love and fellowship with. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's the way the Lord works. God's not going to leave us as orphans. His Spirit will be with us through that process. And I do believe that God will continue to bring... You know, it's not by coincidence that we're together. It's not by accident that our paths cross. God has these relationships in our path for the purpose of strengthening and encouraging one another in the Lord. And, you know, you have these relationships now. Pour your heart into them. Pour your life into them. It may be just for a season. We don't know. We don't know what God has. You know, things change. Jobs, people relocate, you know, people graduate from school and move and things, you know. But for this season, let's enjoy it and let's encourage one another. Let's look for those relationships that would strengthen us spiritually. Paul had those types of friends, those types of minister, uh, you know, co-workers in the ministry. He also had those that, you know, were, were difficult. 
But look for those relationships that would strengthen you in the Lord. You know, we're in Christmas season. And, uh, you know, what a good time to, uh, to enjoy the relationships that we have. Not to look at the ones we don't have or the, the regrets. Or the, but, you know, Lord, what have you given me? And that's what I want to be thankful for. And that's what I want to enjoy. And, you know, this is our family. We are family. Jesus you know, when his father and when his mother and brothers were looking for him, Jesus, time for you. He was out, you know, Jesus was out ministering. Jesus, it's time for you to come home now. And they said, oh, Jesus, your family's looking for you. Jesus said, oh, you're my family. My family are the people of God. Not that he didn't love his family anymore, but just, you know, he recognized that his family were those who shared his faith, those that were united spiritually. So let's close in prayer tonight and ask the Lord to bless our holiday season with good relationships and friendships and strengthen us. Lord, we do thank you. Christmas time, this season, Lord, it is a time for family and friends often to, to just, you know, there's just something about Christmas, Lord, a kind of a, can be a, a real warm season, a joy, something about giving and something about, you know, loving one another, Lord. And I pray that it would be that, God. It can also be a time, for some, it can be a very lonely time because the loss of family or the loss of friendships or relationships somehow at Christmas time seems to be magnified. And Lord, whatever season we may find ourselves in, I pray that, like the Apostle Paul, we would be encouraged to know that Christ stands with us that we're never alone, that there is a friend that sticketh even closer than a brother. And yet, Lord, you've done more than that, more than just you in our hearts. You've brought one another. You've brought friendships and relationships, God. And I pray that we would not, not be lonely this season, but be thankful, thankful for the good friends and the relationships that you have brought into our lives. And I pray, God, that we would be... Um, diligent in our relationships. I'm thinking even of the young people here tonight, Lord. Sometimes young people are very persuaded by the, the peers. And I pray that you would give our young people wisdom, Lord. Wisdom to select the type of friend that's going to point them and draw them closer to you. Lord, it doesn't, we don't have to be around people very long to know the difference. And Lord, I pray that that those who would have a tendency to draw us down spiritually, Lord, that we would just keep a distance from those relationships, but that we would really look to be with the people of God, those that would be encouraging us to grow and mature in you. I pray that, Lord, for all of us tonight. We thank you, Lord, for this letter to Timothy and so much we've gleaned, Lord, for our own lives. I pray that you would just work these words, Lord, deep into our spirits that we might walk in you faithfully and be diligent, Lord, to serve you with, with all of our hearts and minds. And Lord, may we be that type of friend. May we be the kind of friend that stirs one another up for spiritual things. Lord, may we look for those types of friends and may we be that type of friend. May we look to encourage one another. May we reach out to one another, especially in this season, Lord. We thank you, God, and ask your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen.